Hey, before we get on to this new episode, if you're looking to add more science-based tools to your teaching, I want to give you a two-week free trial of the VIP membership. Two weeks, 100% for free. You'll get access to a host of workshops, including ones on sciatica, total knee replacements, uh, tennis elbow, and so much more. Okay, In fact, you'll also get to join live workshops every single month, and I'll provide you research reviews, programming support, tons of Pilates classes, and a host of other resources to help you become the best instructor possible. Go ahead and start your two-week free trial with the link in the show notes, and if you decide it's not for you, no problem. You can cancel at no cost, and you'll just end up getting some free education along the way. But if you love it and you want to keep it, you can do so for as low as $1 per day. You have no risk, and by starting your free trial, you might just expose yourself to the best education of your career. With that said, let's get on to this new episode. Welcome to the Evidence-Based Pilates Podcast, your host for easy-to-understand science-based information made for Pilates instructors. We're going to have an awesome time today because this entire episode is dedicated to enhancing your understanding of the hamstrings, okay? Now, anatomy can be like, oh my God, there's so much going on in my brain right now, and we get super confused. Uh, trust me, I've been there. This is going to be made like easy to understand and, uh, and allowing this to be more of like an applied anatomy episode, meaning like we'll talk a little bit of anatomy, but we're going to talk more about like how it can be useful because anatomy is probably the most overrated thing ever in Pilates or movement industry. It, anatomy is kind of like money. Right, like, like, like money, like, can money make you happy? Well, it depends. Can anatomy make you a better instructor? Well, it depends. With money, it's like if you can't make your basic needs and then you double your income, that's huge, right? That can absolutely impact your happiness, like, easily, right? I couldn't buy food and now I can buy food. I didn't have a roof over my head, now I do. It makes a huge difference. But if you're making a million dollars and then you make two million dollars a year, it doesn't make a huge difference in like your your life because you you already have a bunch of things um but although like by all means make all the money you want um with that the reason why i liken this to anatomy it's like if you know like a baseline level of anatomy knowing like tons more doesn't add a lot of value to your teaching but if you don't know what a hamstring is and then you learn what a hamstring is and then you also learn how it works and how to load it that makes a huge difference in your decision-making and how you can help your clients. But by learning like the exact origin and insertion, um, you know, myofascial slings around it, it basically adds like little to no value of the clinical application. And when I say clinical application, I mean like making a difference in your clients' lives. So by all means, learn as much anatomy as you want. But if you feel like, oh, I'm not good enough because I don't know anatomy and you already know the basics, you will um, have a lot more return on your investment by studying other things, uh, other things meaning like pain science, motor learning, strength training principles, etc. So with that, let's chat about the hamstrings. So then we all have a great baseline on how to work them, strengthen them, and help your clients' lives. 
Uh, first, we'll start with anatomy, then we'll talk about like working them at different lengths and then simple strategies on how to strengthen them and maybe even stretch them if that's needed. So what's good to know with your hamstrings is that you have three of them, right? That's why it's hamstrings rather than hamstring. So you have your biceps femoris, your semi-tendinosis and semi-membranosis. Try to say that five times super fast. Uh, it's fine. Yeah, same. So um, with that, don't worry if that makes you googly-eyed. Like we're going to put that in the nice-to-know category. Biceps femoris, semi-membranosis, semi-tendinosis. Took me years to memorize it. I would like learn it and then someone, you know, I try to say it the next day and I'd forget. That's how learning happens, by the way. Enjoy the journey. What's helpful to recognize is that your hamstrings are two joint muscles. Um, with that, the two joint muscle application that we'll talk about today also applies for other two joint muscles, um, such as like your biceps brachii is another two joint muscle. But we're going to keep this conversation to the hamstrings uh, for simplicity. But I just want you to know, like whenever you're talking about two joint muscles, uh, these strategies apply. So the hamstrings, right? They attach, um, the, the attachments would be like above the hip and below the knee. That's like your 10,000 foot like view. More specifically, uh, all of your hamstrings, all three of them attach to your sitting bone, right? Um, sometimes that's called the sits bone, right? I was confused in Pilates school. I thought that was a real name because it was like taught that way. It's, it's, taught, it's actually called your ischial tuberosity. Uh, but it's the bone that you sit on, whatever you want to call it. Just know your hamstrings attached there. So, so does um, your adductor magnus. I almost had a mind blank there. Um, so anyways, that's just fun fact. But hamstrings, right? So they all attach to your butt bone. You can call it that too, ischial tuberosity. Then they go down the back of your thigh, the whole back of your thigh. Thigh is femur bone, by the way. And then they, 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 you can think of them almost like splitting like a highway. They don't actually, but just let, let's let that happen, right? So like your biceps femoris goes to the lateral side and then your other ones, right? The semi-membranosis and semi-tendinosis go to the medial side. So if we're talking about your right leg, on the right side of your right leg, that's the lateral side. That's where your biceps femoris lives. Okay. And you can confirm that if you're like, I think you're full of shit. I'm not, right? not today at least. So um, with that, right, you can just bring your hand on, like on the outside of your right leg and you just hook it behind your knee. And if you, if you dig in and you just kind of like strum your hand to the outside, you'll run across this massive tendon. You can say, oh, hey, that's my biceps femoris. This guy's onto something. Yeah, so it's like that's your biceps femoris or a hamstring. On the other side, right, it's hard to differentiate, right, but you got two tendons on the on the medial side. Yeah, that's the semitendinosis and membran membranosis. You can't, like, um, isolate them, so don't worry about it. They're both on the medial side. If you wanted to go one step further, your biceps femoris attaches to the fibula, right? That's the little bone on the, on the uh, lateral side of your shin, or sometimes called the shank, the lower leg. That's on the fibular head. And then the uh, membranosis and tendinosis, I'm so tired of saying semi-membranosis, tendinosis, those two, right? They attach to your tibia, okay? Um, you can keep going further and further, but it's not really useful unless you're a surgeon. Um, so with that, what's important to recognize 
is that the hamstrings attach above your hip and below your knee, and they're on the backside. The reason why that's helpful, and for those that have listened to the anatomy episode somewhere down in these 2023 episodes, um, you, you'll recognize that like this is really just what you need to know. You need to know like where the muscles attach, okay? what joints they cross, and what side of the joint they're on because that's gonna tell you what the muscle does because the muscle's job is just to bring its two points closer together. So the, 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 the uh, hamstrings, let's just say like, they're gonna bring the, the top of the lower leg, right? Right underneath your knee. They're gonna bring that closer to your butt because that's where, where the other attachment is. So that's called bending your knee or flexing your knee, right? And then, Okay, at the, but what's also useful to know is there are two joint muscle because they also cross the hip, which means they're gonna move at the hip. So regardless of what's happening at the knee, if you're extending your hip, which means like uh, bringing your leg behind you, that's the job of your hamstrings. Um, so the hamstrings, they flex the knee and they extend the hip. If you were standing and you brought your leg behind you, by bending your knee, that's knee flexion. Like you're trying to kick your butt, that's the job of your hamstrings. Um, if you were walking and your leg was in front of you and you start to bring it behind you, that's the job of your hamstrings. Not only your hamstrings, but they participate in that. Because okay? that's hip extension. So the last bit of anatomy that I just want to um, cite here is that uh, innervation is helpful to know if you ever work with someone with like nerve issues, especially this one, because because this this uh, the hamstrings are innervated by the sciatic nerve, and so with someone with sciatica, right? Sciatica is a condition of the nerve, uh, generally the nerve root of the sciatic nerve, which comes out of like the lumbar spine. Just to be kind of global. It, like, as symptoms progress, it's possible that one hamstring contractions could be irritating, but they could be weak too. Not weak because the muscle is not strong enough, but because something's happened, something's happening on a neural neuro, uh, level, meaning that the nerve is irritated and not firing as it typically would. So it's common to notice symptoms in the hamstring area, not necessarily pain, although you could, it's not impossible. Um, because this is a motor innervation, but you may have weakness um, with someone with sciatica there. It, you might not, right? And that'd be great, right? Maybe it doesn't happen. But I just want to like connect the dots to be like, oh yeah, like Sally, my 9 a.m. She does like, she has like mentioned like, you know, back of her legs feel weak or something. And she has sciatica. Well, that's why the sciatic nerve innervates the hamstrings. So with that, it's important to recognize that the hamstrings are going to bend the knee and extend the hip. However, they're a two joint muscle. And this is like the big thing in this episode. They are a two joint muscle. So to optimize strengthening a muscle, right? We wanna load it as it's shortening or at least trying to shorten. When a muscle shortens, that's called a concentric contraction. Now, to do this with a two-joint muscle, you generally need to stabilize one of the joints, meaning just don't move it, and then try and shorten the other one. Eccentrics is another 
aspect to this, but I don't want to get too googly-eyed because I know anatomy and anatomy and physiology can get weird really quick. So what this would mean is like, you know, a bridge, like where you're laying down on your back, your feet, let's say your feet are on the foot bar of the reformer. They can be on the mat too, same concept. Springs are not moving. You push the bar down. Your butt goes up. That is a hamstrings exercise, right? Because you are keeping the knee still, right? And you're bringing your waist up. When you bring your waist up, you go from like a hip flexion, right? Maybe around 90 degrees or more, depending on like your setting on the um, reformer. And then you go up to like maybe like a neutralish hip, but that's going to depend um, on other factors. Uh, within an individual. So you're extending the hip when you're going up. But what's important with that is the knee stays relatively still. Okay. Now, if you were doing a movement like a squat, that's like you're working the hamstrings, but it's very similar to like an isometric contraction. Hear me out. So for a, for a squat, let's say you're going down. Right? You're going from standing and then you're going down. I'm not talking about up, only down. You bend your knees to, to go from like standing to squat. Okay, The knee bends, that's knee flexion. So your hamstrings are shortening. Okay, However, you're also flexing your hip. At the hip, you're lengthening your hamstrings. So you have two joints here going down in a squat. At one joint, the hamstring's getting shorter. At the other joint, the hamstring's getting longer. You can, uh, just from like a very like global view, you can just cancel them out and say it really doesn't change length. So we're not, sh like the hamstring's not trying to shorten in that exercise. They, and that's why squats aren't the best hamstrings exercise. They could be like a low load hamstrings exercise because you're not really loading them. You're loading your quads and your glutes a hell of a lot more um, in, in a, in a uh, squat. Same goes for a lunge. Now, I love squats and lunges. Keep doing them. But if I'm working on my hamstrings, there's no way I would choose a squat or a lunge, right? I hope you're enjoying the podcast. My only ask of you as a listener is to leave a five-star review. Leaving a review helps this podcast grow and have a greater influence on the Pilates industry. I do this 100% for free. I do not and will never accept advertisements on this podcast. It is 100% for free. And you can go ahead and make a huge difference and allow this to grow by leaving a five-star review. That's another reason why um, footwork's not a hamstring exercise. You can consciously make it a hamstring exercise. You can consciously make it a posterior tibialis exercise if you want to. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things where, or a good global thing with this, and it's a little bit of a tangent. Is like if you can't feel a muscle in an exercise, or a muscle's not firing in an exercise, it's not the muscle's fault. It's the exercise, right? Muscles know what to do. Yeah. So we want to choose exercises that require that muscle to fire or else you won't be successful in the exercise. That's a good exercise.
Yeah, that's why we don't need to consciously contract muscles, right? Like most, like 99% of the time, there's always some reason why you may need to. Maybe there's a pelvic floor thing happening and a pelvic floor physical therapist needs you to consciously contract something. Absolutely, do it. Um, but with that, with the hamstrings, okay? You don't need to consciously contract your hamstrings to do a bridge. Because if your hamstrings don't fire, like if your hamstring was torn, right? There's no way that bridge is happening, right? Because it's, it's either going to hurt like hell or there's nothing, you're not going to get up with the hamstrings. Um, so with exercises like footwork or like frog and stuff like that, you are like extending, you know, like let's say you're pushing the bar out, right? Let's say footwork, you're pushing the bar out, straight legs, and then you're bending in, Right. They're, like it's not that the hamstrings won't fire, but they're not a great hamstring exercise. You're you're not changing length of the hamstrings because when you push out, you're extending at your hip like barely because you're still in hip flexion because uh, the bar is higher than your waist, and then you're extending your knee, right? So you're shortening at the hip, but you're getting longer at the knee. It's just not the greatest hamstring exercise. So hamstring exercises are hinges. That's how I'd simplify this. If you're like, whoa, hamstring exercises are hinges. Hear me out. What I mean by a hinge is you are either bending at the knee or not both, or you're extending at your hip. Could you do both? Sure. It usually gets kind of weird, um, but just in a very simple framework either hinge at your hip or hinge at your knee. Here's examples. Examples of that would be like, like I mentioned the bridge. Okay. Of course, like stay, you know, keeping the like having a lighter spring is going to be harder and stuff like that. And, but you're going up and you're going down even on the bridge, like where you keep your waist up and then you press out and you come in, your waist is basically still that turns it into a knee hinge, right? Bridges are awesome hamstring exercises but they're also done generally in a shortened position i know like you can make it dynamic like press out and in but i also want to invite you or just kind of like put it in your brain to do bridges at straight legs um uh, if you haven't done it you should do it right um so this would just be like a really light spring on the reformer like a half spring blue spring whatever uh, you just press down all the way to straight legs and you stay there. And then, you know, you lock your legs or if you're like, you know, have a phobia with locking the legs, then bend them a little bit. That's fine. But you're going to bring the waist up and then you bring the waist down, right? It's one of those, it's like, oh, not so bad at first, right? And, and if it's after five or 10, it's fine. Good. Do it with one leg. One, like it's just, it's variability, which is awesome. Uh, for humans. But when we think about hamstrings, right, uh, and how we use them in our daily life, or where a lot of hamstring strains may happen, that would be like running, walking, jogging, things like that, like, like you're ambulating, gait training, etc. So for this, like you think about the length of your hamstrings when you're walking, or if someone were, uh, were running, right? What's the length of the hamstrings? They're pretty long, right? Like, like you stretch your leg out all the way okay, in front of you, it hits the floor, then you pull the floor back behind you and you keep going. 
So that's where I would advocate to strengthen the hamstrings at long muscle lengths, in addition to the bridges and things like that, because it's hard to transfer. Uh, and it's so good for you, but it's like, you should do more than just training the hamstrings in really short positions to then try and use them in a really long position. And that's just the law of specificity. It's like, do the thing that you're trying to do. So your exercises should look like the activity you're trying to do. And if we're trying to strengthen the hamstrings for X, Y, Z activity, a lot of times partly like it has to do with like ambulating, but it could be sport specific. And so we want to go ahead and think about that. Like what's the length of the hamstrings during that activity, right? A common person that we would want to strengthen hamstrings in other than just any human would be like a runner or a sprinter, right? Someone who's more prone to like hamstring strains. Now the literature is like kind of sketchy in terms of the, the efficacy of like preventing hamstring injuries. And we're not really that good at it. Um, there are, so I'll throw a paper, a good paper that kind of reviews some of the literature uh, in the show notes. Um, there is some literature to show that, you know, we, you can reduce hamstring injuries by about 50% um, in specific populations with strength training programs, but there's like high risk of bias and this and that. Um, however, um, as like Adam Meekins uh, mentions, like you can't go wrong getting strong. So I would highly advocate to strengthen the hamstrings. Uh, especially if you're working with a, like an athletic population or just someone who likes to, who does a like cardio and, and stuff like that. Um, so, so with that, okay, I would just advocate to also train your hamstrings at longer muscle lengths in addition to shorter, shorter lengths. Another example of training the hamstrings at a longer muscle length would be like a standing hip hinge. Uh, this is where I'm a huge advocate for having like kettlebells in the studio, any studio owners, by the way, uh, kettlebell, at least here in the States runs about $2 a pound. This will be the best return on your investment of any apparatus that you choose. You should have all the apparatus that you want, but I just feel like the kettlebell is so much bang for its buck. You can, it doesn't take up space. Right. So in any retail space, like, like you want things that don't take up a lot of space and that are high value. Um, so so with that, okay, a kettlebell is like two dollars a pound, right? You might spend like a couple hundred bucks on getting a you know variations, stuff like that, maybe under five hundred. And then you can you can really load the hamstrings with them, right? So you can hold on to a kettlebell and you just hinge down and you hinge up. It's called um, it's called a deadlift. Okay. The reformer, you could hold on to like a spring and hinge forward and come up, but the reformer is trying to pull you forward. It's just not the same experience, right? So you try to hinge forward towards the pulleys and then you come up to a vertical position. It works better if you have something that's trying to pull you to the floor, okay? like a kettlebell. I used to like my previous studio owners, um, uh, when I was out there teaching every day, would uh, they they had like we called them Barbie weights. Um, so, sorry, that's offensive. It was it was something that my clients used to call them, um, and so they were just like the Amazon weights. They're like highlighter colors, and so they added up to like ten pounds total. Like they were nothing. So I just used to bring in my own my own weights. Um, another thing you can do if you're since we're talking about weights and stuff with hamstrings, you can also use your box. Any instructors listening to this? So your box, like the lawn box is a box, 
but it's also a basket. So if you turn the box upside down, there's a hole in it. What I used to do is put all the highlighter weights in there and anything that had some kind of weight. I'd put my client's purse in there too, right? If they let me. And then I would just have them do like hinges or, or other exercises that were helpful for them while holding the box. Because your box is a box, but your box is also a basket. So that's my tangent on use heavy things. So the hip hinge, regardless of what you're using, okay, you're standing, you can have your knees like slightly bent if you need to like put slack in the hamstrings or not, you can lock them. You hinge forward, you come up. So as you're hinging forward, okay, the hamstrings are, are, are they're lengthening. So it's an eccentric contraction. And then you come up and they are shortening, a concentric contraction. They'll get stronger there and they're at a longer muscle length. So examples that we've talked about so far of hinges, because hinges, okay, are hamstring strengthening exercises if you're loading it right. If you're going to strengthen the hamstrings, you got to do hinges. Okay, that's a knee hinge or a hip hinge. And we've talked about hip hinges. They're a little easier in Pilates. So we've talked about bridges and we've talked about like standing hinges. Now there are exercises like um, elephant and arabesque where you are hinging back and forth, but no one, I, I don't remember many people getting fatigued in their hamstrings. I don't think I've ever gotten fatigued in my hamstrings during elephant or arabesque. Like, do I feel them a little bit? Yeah. But if you, if you load them enough, you're just going to get tired in your shoulders. So I wouldn't advocate for those. Now things you can do for like knee hinges, you have to get a more unconventional um, in Pilates for that because you basically need to hook a pulley, like one of the pulleys anywhere in your studio onto your ankle you lie prone and then you bend your knee, right? And as you bend your knee, you should be pulling uh, the spring open. So you can do this where you, uh, if you're on like a, like one of the, the newer reformers that have the ropes, right? This just doesn't work with the straps, like the leather straps. Um, you can lie down on the floor. That's what I do. I lie down on the floor, hook, the strap on a client's ankle and they just go ahead and they bend their knee and they straighten it. You can, you can like, it's like, like you can't, I was going to say you can do it on a box, but then as I create the picture in my head, um, that's why I don't do that on the box. You, you, if you were lying prone on the box, right. And you were facing the foot bar and you have the strap around your ankle. When you straighten your leg, you will have no tension on the strap. So you'll just be lifting air as you do most of the exercise. So for that, like I wouldn't choose that for a knee hinge. I'd have a client on the floor and I'd move them as far forward as I can. So when they bend and straighten their leg, they do it under load. Now that brings up to a, a really important aspect of choosing a hinging exercise uh, to load the hamstrings. This applies to any muscle. In any muscle, if you're going to load it, if you, well, if you're going to strengthen any muscle, you have to load it, right? Consciously contracting it doesn't load the muscle. It doesn't really get you stronger unless you're at a really deconditioned baseline, right? Um, so there's a time and place for that, but like general population, generally not helpful for strengthening. Now, if you're going to strengthen a muscle, you need to load it progressively. 
you also need to have that load be opposite to the muscle's action. So in a knee hinge, the, the um, action for the hamstrings would be knee flexion. So the load needs to pull you into knee extension. What that means is that's like, that's why the exercise where you're lying on the floor next to the reformer, your foot faces the pulley. Okay, the strap is hooked onto your ankle, you bend the knee. When you bend the knee, if you were to just let go, the strap would pull you into knee extension. Okay, because it's loading opposite to the action. When you're on your back, and you're doing a bridge, you're loaded by gravity. And okay? you are loaded by gravity because you're pushing down against the floor, and you push your waist up. Okay? So you're you're pushing your waist up against things that are trying to bring your waist down. That's why putting like a weight on your uh, on your waist or wrapping a theraband around the waist adds load to the hamstrings at the hip. Now, that does bring up a good question if any of you have this on a reformer of like, well, why is it harder than if I make lighter springs on the reformer? Why is it harder on the hamstrings there, right? Because springs run horizontally, right? They add a horizontal force to, uh, to any movement, okay? Whereas gravity goes up and down and during a bridge, you're trying to bring your waist up because that is working your hamstrings at the hip. Now, if you lighten the springs, what you're doing is you're making, like, let's say that like you lighten the springs and the game is bring your hips up, but don't move the springs, right? Don't move the springs. So what you're doing is you're making it harder to isometrically contract at the knee. You're not making it harder at the hip. You're making it harder on the hamstrings, but you're making it harder at the knee because the knee Okay, the hamstrings at the knee, they're working horizontally, right? Because you're trying to pull your hit your foot to your butt. This is what it means to really understand move and really understand the hamstrings. If you're lying down on your back on a reformer with light springs, it's hard at the knee because that's a horizontal force. You're trying to pull your heels towards your butt. That's knee flexion, right? But if you could equally make it harder, okay? You can make it harder uh, to shorten the hamstrings by having all the, the springs on whatever and putting something heavy on someone's waist. There's so many ways to win because that's gonna make it harder at the hip. But either way, I hope that this episode thus far has been useful for one, understanding the hamstrings more, recognizing that they are a two joint muscle and to optimize loading the hamstrings, you need to do hinges. Okay. You need to, and by hinge, it means keep one of the joints still and move at the other one. And when you're moving, you're trying to shorten the muscle under load, right? There's an asterisk on that. This is the last bit that we'll talk about.
you can also work your hamstrings eccentrically. Eccentrically, there's a there's an episode on understanding muscle contractions, by the way. If this gets googly-eyed, I highly recommend it. It's free. Free knowledge for you. So for that, when a muscle is working eccentrically, it's trying to shorten. It is trying to shorten because that's all muscles can do in terms of a muscle contraction. Muscle contraction means to shorten. It can't lengthen itself. So the muscle's trying to shorten, but the load placed on the muscle is stronger than the muscle. So the muscle is getting longer. It's just getting longer slowly, right? Or slower than it's wanting to. Otherwise known as slower than falling. A prime example of this is a Nordic hamstrings curl, which has been shown to be the greatest exercise for force generation of the hamstrings, okay? particularly if you're in dorsiflexion. If you're unfamiliar with the Nordic hamstring curl, here it is. Here's your verbal description. A Nordic hamstrings curl, you are kneeling. Let's just say you're on the floor, right? I'll apply this to the reformer in a moment. You are on the floor, you are kneeling, and there's a strap wrapped around your foot, or someone is holding your feet. You're in what's called a high kneel. So your knees are on the floor, and everything above that is just vertical and quote-unquote straight. Let's say your hands are by your side. You're going to hinge forward, right? It's like thigh stretch, but the opposite. You're going to hinge forward. You're going to maintain a plank. When you're hinging forward, you're extending at your knee, right? And gravity is trying to send you to the floor. Your job is to slowly go forward and maintain that shape for as long as you can. That means the hamstrings are lengthening under load. They're working eccentrically. Kind of like jackknife, you eventually fall like faster than you want to and you land on your hands, then you come back up. And there's many ways to come up. Um, so with that, this is a prime example of eccentrically loading the hamstrings and you can do it on a reformer, okay? Here's how you do it on a reformer. It looks a little bit different from reformer to reformer in terms of where you land. For um, the reformer that I have, I have a wide, I have a wide uh, frame, so the rails are nice to land on. If you're on like a studio reformer, uh, you can either put like a studio balance body reformer that would be like thinner rails. It would hurt to land on the on the rails, so you can always put pads there, or you can even put a box on top of the rails for your clients to land there because this is where you are. You're kneeling on the bed but you're facing the pulleys. Your feet are underneath the foot strap that you would use for short box, sometimes called the safety strap. So you're in a high kneel and that's the safety strap or the foot strap is holding onto your feet, okay? Try to dorsiflex if you can, but other, maybe you can't just like, just make sure it's there, right? With that, it's the same exercise. Your hands are by your side or maybe by your chest, wherever you want. You hinge forward as slowly as you can, and then you'll eventually go faster than intended, and you land on your hands. You'll land probably on like the, um, the rails, or if you put a box there, you can land on a box. Then you come right back up. It is such an awesome exercise for the hamstrings. It's not appropriate for everyone, right? Sometimes it's like going into a bridge, like two-legged bridges are happening, but marching isn't happening, right? Marching meaning like you're lifting up, 
and then you know you're in the bridge you left one leg you lower it right like like that client if they can't do that no way it's like an nordic hamstrings curl appropriate but if you're working with like a strong population you're looking to work the hamstrings freaking load it okay i promise all right, i promise this will be the last thing is it's like what about stretching the hamstrings right well you can get um nothing wrong with stretching the hamstrings it's not going to help your runners uh, that's not a thing so there the, um, there isn't really evidence that i'm aware of to support um stretching the hamstrings and reducing injuries but there is uh literature to support strengthening them and also there's literature to support that if you if you um load a muscle at at full muscle length meaning like you're doing a hip hinge right you're holding something heavy you're hinging down at you know like from a standing position you hinge at the hips you go down you come up you'll get a hamstring stretch um that gives you just as many flexibility benefits as um stretching but you also get stronger so you can get stronger and more flexible cuz uh sometimes like there is a thought process of like a strong muscle is a tight muscle that's garbage uh meaning like it's not true uh, sorry if that's offensive i didn't mean to offend you um so i meant it in a in a way to just promote ideas like uh, you can get stronger and more flexible so i would absolutely advocate for just um strength training at full muscle lengths however like sometimes you're working with like um like an older population's really good example um it is guideline based care to provide static stretching for them uh, particularly particularly of the hamstrings and this can help for a variety of things but one of those would be stride length um while you are walking right so we want to go ahead and and keep individuals um limber over time and and there's nothing wrong with stretching the hamstrings if you're going to stretch the hamstrings it, you just do the opposite as um as uh strengthening them so you would extend the knee right and you would flex the hip like laying on your back lifting a leg up right like maybe holding it with a theraband straight legs just hinging down there's so many ways uh to do it if you do prescribe stretching uh for for your clients you know let's say an older adult client static stretching is just as good as any other stretching so i wouldn't demonize static stretching um in any way shape or form um in fact static stretching is what's recommended it's the most simple to remember too and it's generally um like 30 seconds like just you know hold it for 30 seconds come back up uh maximum benefits for stretching uh from my knowledge is about 15 minutes um a week on the on the body part um over that it doesn't really add much benefit but with that um at the end of the day i would i would highly recommend strengthening the hamstrings and just about anyone if you're doing it for like injury mitigation look towards stretching towards um strengthening rather than just stretching however you're not going to go wrong with stretching the hamstrings just also get them stronger um with that said i hope this episode has been uh useful for you and i will see you in the next one